0: Good afternoon. Welcome to Free to be Faithful. I'm moderator Kip Allen. Free to be Faithful is a religious liberty education and awareness program that was created by the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate in response to increasing governmental incursions into religious life. People of faith and our institutions have come under increasing attack in recent years from secular sources. The demands range from removal of crosses at national monuments honoring war dead to punishing those who openly prey on the athletic field, to demanding that Christian business people participate in marriage ceremonies, regardless of religious sensitivities. The most far-reaching and ominous development to date was the United States Supreme Court's ruling in the Obergefell decision of last June uh, that recognized the constitutionality of same-sex marriage. One of the fronts where the battle for religious liberty is being fought is, ironically, in the U.S. military. Historically, chaplains have served with the American military since the days of the Revolution. More than 400 chaplains have died while serving on active duty, and six have been awarded the nation's highest accolade, the Congressional Medal of Honor. Traditionally, military personnel have been free to follow their faiths, and chaplains have counseled these men and women on both the battlefield and at home. But in recent years, this time-honored tradition has come under attack from secular and political forces. Chaplains have been punished for counseling service members that such things as homosexuality and premarital sex are sinful, according to biblical doctrine. Service members have been punished for refusing to remove a Bible verse from a workstation. Religious practice at our service academies are under increasing restrictions. Now, why is this happening? What specifically has changed? What are the rights of military personnel? LCMS Director of Ministry to the Armed Forces, the Reverend Craig Mueller, and Alliance Defending Freedom Attorney and Air Force Reserve Judge Advocate General Member Daniel Briggs are going to be our guests today on Free to Be Faithful and discuss the topic of religious liberty in the military. Listeners are invited to ask questions by telephone at area code 314-821-0850 in the St. Louis area or 800-730-2727, anywhere in North America. Questions or comments may also be submitted by email to publicsquare at kfuo.org. I'm going to open up, first of all, by addressing a question to Chaplain Mueller. Chaplain, what is the history of the uh, church within the military? And I know this goes way back to the time when... There was a minister giving a, a, a sermon in his congregation. Took off his robe and revealed a continental
1: military uniform. Well, thank you very much. Yes, it's uh, as you said in your introduction. It's uh, it's been a long history that George Washington, from the founding of our of our nation, has seen the importance of the freedom, free exercise of religion, and called upon Congress to uh, bring pastors to serve as chaplains to to take care of his men in his uh, his army. So it's been a long link between uh, religious freedom and our military personnel because those are the ones defending our freedoms, and including in those freedoms our our right to worship, but also the free exercise to practice our faith. So they always have been hand-in-hand and been able to function in this pluralistic environment. So we have a long, good tradition of chaplains serving in the military for many years.
0: I'd also like to point out that the Lutheran chaplaincy is one of the oldest in the U.S. military.
1: Yes, we've had some chaplains. Before the Missouri Senate, we had the Lutherans here. The Muhlenberg was one of our first chaplains during the Revolutionary War. But then in the Civil War, we had our first chaplain. Of course, that's when the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate was also founded in the 1800s. So we have had a long history and tradition of getting the two kingdoms, ensuring that we have the right to uh, to serve our God, but also to serve our nation as good Christian citizens.
0: I'd like to direct my next question to Daniel Briggs with the Alliance Defending Freedom. Uh, Daniel, you served as an, acti- as an active officer for many years in the Air Force, and you were still in the Air Force Reserves serving as a JAG. You related a story to me once about how you were, had to do an, a series of indoctrination uh, lectures concerning uh, homosexuality, the don't, the don't ask, don't tell. What happened here?
2: That's right. So, And by the way, thank you so much for having me. I really just appreciate the opportunity. Um, But I was a new JAG uh, on active duty with the Air Force, and I was, the term is voluntold, I was voluntold by my supervisor uh, to lead all briefing efforts involving Don't Ask, Don't Tell repeal across the base. So there were two wings uh, at that base in Albuquerque, uh, one regular wing and then also a special operations wing. So I had to brief. I had to lead the, the, the repeal briefings across the base.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned the Special Operations Unit. I believe that's a one. Is it one hundred and sixty? Is that its number?
2: Uh, no, but it's a 550 it's a Special Operations Wing. But they involve the pararescue jumpers. Ah, who are uh, very Air Force special Operations, right?
0: Yeah, exceptionally brave men who actually go in to rescue down pilots. And uh, we've also run into a situation with a chaplain in another one of our in another uh, faith. Uh, who was the chaplain to the Navy SEALs, who ran into some trouble over some counseling sessions that he gave. One of the things I had mentioned is that counseling given regarding uh, homosexuality or premarital sex as a, as a biblical precept. Now, here in the uh, Lutheran Church, in the Missouri Synod, and I believe it's the, the case all across the military chaplaincy, those people who are assigned to the chaplains, to, to accept a chaplaincy within the military have to be approved by the sponsoring denomination, for example, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And this means that this particular chaplain has to follow the precepts of the faith. The Missouri Synod does preach against gay marriage, homosexuality, and for
1: premarital sex. Craig, can you address this issue? Sure. You're absolutely correct. And it's very important. It's it's just beautiful how our country has come up with that to the distinction of not establishing a chaplain corps or a religious group by making it incumbent upon the churches in our nation, the endorsing agents or religious organizations to endorse their pastors, priests, rabbis, imams to serve in the military. And therefore, they are coming with their professional credentials, if you will that they are a bona fide member of that religious faith group therefore as you mentioned earlier are expected to you know follow and practice the tenets of their faith and therefore the military does all that when you go to chaplain school and so forth they're really basically teaching you how to wear the uniform how to work in that culture how to become an officer whether it's Air Force Army Navy or Marine Corps because Navy chaplains serve with the Marines so the two kingdoms are, the two collars, if you will, are not to cross. Uh, we're supposed to be professional Navy chaplains or professional Army chaplains and representing our faith group faithfully and loyally, and at the same time treating all people with respect and dignity but not being asked to compromise who we are as, uh, in our case, obviously Lutheran Church Missouri Ascended chaplains, that we can practice our faith and have the right to exercise that in our vocation. So it's been a great uh, Lincoln history that we've had in the past of being able to walk these two worlds and it just seems to now that the one collar is trying to get in the way of the other collar and we're still trying to, to maneuver those waters if you will and we have great people like uh, um, Mr. Briggs here who's part of our Force, I guess, if you will, to help educate and keep us on the straight and narrow. Of the two kingdoms, are there? It's it's possible to do both, and do it without compromising our faith, and at the same time, working in a pluralistic environment with respect to people of all faiths or those who have no faith at all.
0: Mr. Briggs, as a representative of the ADF, and also as your experience with the uh, JAG with the Air Force. Could you go into some specific cases that you had to deal with where religious liberty was being impinged upon in the military
2: uh sure i can i can provide some some situations some stories maybe i can't always give uh names of of clients that's fine um you know there was uh, i can tell you about one chaplain uh who was approached by a homosexual service member who wanted counseling of a personal nature the chaplain made sure just as my colleague here uh craig uh, mueller has mentioned he made sure that the service member knew that he uh, had two roles, two hats that he wore, and he said you know, that he would have, he, as an Anglican priest, he would be uh, counseling from his own perspective, from his own faith-based perspective, and according to the, to the guidance of his chaplain endorser, but that he was also absolutely committed to the free exercise and to the religious freedom of that service member. And so if a service member would not feel comfortable receiving counseling from him, he would see to it that he would make sure that that service member would receive counseling from someone else. The service member made, you know, made it clear that he still wanted counseling from this chaplain. The chaplain even uh, did sort of a, a, a morale check or a status check during the counseling to make sure everything was going well, no complaints. Uh, at the end of it, they shook hands. And then weeks later, he received a complaint uh, being told that he, the service member, feel humiliated and belittled. And this chaplain's career, really not to put it, not to, to to put it mildly at all, but really hung in the balance for months. And ultimately he was able to return to work and move on. But, uh, just the fact that that simple act of counseling, which is so crucial, uh, as, as my brother uh, here, you know, Craig mentioned, it's so crucial to the chaplain function. And yet just by doing that and by being approached and by, by agreeing to counsel someone, uh, his career really was, um, In the balance. Another service member was deployed um, overseas, and and during the LGBT Pride Month in June, um, he ran into a very toxic work environment. Uh, They were not receptive to his Christian worldview. And uh, the bottom line is that he, you know, through a lot of advice and counsel from us, and through working with his stateside commander when he returned from his deployment, uh, he was able to achieve or, or to. Uh, receive a, a more positive outcome. But the bottom line is, he also um, was looking at being in the crosshairs of very, very, very senior leadership uh, simply because his worldview and his perspective uh, ran counter to what is, you know, to, the, to the culture of political correctness.
0: Well, both you and Craig have served in the military. Craig's a retired Navy captain. Uh, let me post a question here that perhaps a lot of civilians might not fully understand. Let's say that you are given a command. For example, there's a case of a Marine Lance corporal who posted a biblical verse at her workstation. She was told to remove it, she refused. Now, two questions there. One, could she where did her religious liberty end? And secondly, did she disobey a direct order? Does she deserve to be punished for that? I I don't quite understand how that would follow.
2: Well, um, I can, I can uh, jump in, and of course, Craig, if you'd like to jump in, I can jump out. Um, but, you know, the bottom line is that service members are always, the, 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 any military order is presumed to be lawful. Um, obviously, this is barring some sort of My Lai Massacre sort of incident in order to uh, something that's clearly immoral or illegal or unethical. Um, however, in this situation, this service member didn't know what her options were. Because the military has not made it clear that the Religious Freedom Restoration Act clearly applies. Now they just recently have made have acknowledged this, but this has not been made clear to every service member across the departments. So she didn't know what her rights were. She thought her her options were to um, follow her faith and the dictates of her faith and her conscience, or to obey the order. Uh, Of course, now what you would advise a service member, what I would advise a service member if I had a chance to advise them in that situation would be to request time and opportunity for counsel. Uh, And by the way, by counsel, I also include that uh, chaplain, not just the JAG, but the chaplain is a subject matter expert for religious accommodation in the military. And then I would ask that service member to ask the commander or the supervisor to put the order in writing. And what this does is it, it encourages the supervisor or the commander to go talk to their JAG and their chaplain maybe if it involves religion and to figure out whether they really need to make that order or whether they need to be more moderate. And all the while, this provides a service member time to go to someone like me or to an, to an allied organization and to figure out what their course of action is. It also gets everything in writing, which really helps both the service member and the command to make sure that all the facts are, are clear you know, at, at the outset. It
0: sounds to me like the command structure in this case was also somewhat ignorant in terms of what were the rights and obligations there.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you make a, you make a great point. They, my understanding is from the facts in the case that they didn't even consider a religious accommodation, not once. They didn't even consider making a religious accommodation in her case. It was a clear, my way or the highway, you will obey this order. And, of course, under threat of a court-martial, which is what she ultimately suffered, a conviction by trial by court-martial. So her command clearly didn't even consider the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And if the commands, if commanders don't understand what the law is, how can we expect service members to know what the law is?
0: Craig, you as a chaplain uh, in the Navy, could you give some instances of the type of counseling or some of the problems that the people
1: under in in your uh, group went to you to get advice on? Wow, that's uh, we cover the the whole gamut, which is really so uh, important of why we have chaplains in the military for our personnel. We really are a, a safety valve. Because we have confidentiality that our service members, those who have faith and those who don't have faith, could come and talk to their chaplain in confidence to just talk through life issues, uh, decisions, um, any kind of, maybe it could be they're in trouble with their command, it could just be uh, marriage and family issues, it could be, uh, you know, the whole gamut of of personal struggles that they're going through, and that's why it's always been such a sacred space between the chaplain and the, the military personnel, and it's uh That's why it's really disconcerting to to make something of another issue that makes everybody nervous from the chaplain to the, you know, the counselee or the military person to come in there to make sure hey, that we're on the the same sheet of music here, that uh, you know where I'm coming from as a chaplain of this faith group. But I'm here to help you any way I can uh, to make sure that you understand that, uh, you know, I'm a Professional chaplain, if you will, to use the DoD language of uh, i 'm qualified to to be here to uh, to support you, but at the same time, if they 're looking for answers for something that are against what my conscience or religious convictions are, that I will uh, make sure that they get somewhere where they can get the help that they need now okay. some of my brothers uh, have problems with that even in the sense that if i 'm referring somebody. To get help, let's say if there's a uh, homosexual couple that comes to me as a chaplain, and I express you know what I believe, and uh, I can't condone this, and they're good with that, and they say, okay, well, chaplain, can you give me to someone else who, who can? And some people say, well, then you're helping them in their lifestyle, but I look at it again as the two kingdoms. Then I'm acting as a Navy officer or a military officer taking care of these folks, and they're Rights to have care according to their traditions and and religious liberty. So I'm not functioning as getting them to a bad counseling, if you will. I'm taking care of them so they also have the right to exercise uh, their opinion or their their faith.
0: What about the case of uh, of a service member who has no faith? Can they come to
1: you for counseling? Absolutely. And I think be surprised how many just from anecdotally how many you know in my Twenty-four plus years of uh, working with Marines and Sailors, and some Joint Command, so, so sail, soldiers and airmen. That a lot of them do come with no faith or just struggling. So they have the same rights that uh, anybody else does, and they come and talk to the chaplain to to walk through you know decisions in their life or just explore different things. And um, it's it's just it's all about relationships and trust.
0: What about actually expression of religious faith, both on and off duty? Uh, Mr. Briggs, I believe there was a a case not too long ago, I think it was of an Air Force uh, couple. And they had done some uh, missionary work while they were on their own time. And they had published something in one of the official Air Force publications. And this was censored. Are you familiar with that case?
2: I am. That's right. He was a. He's a reservist, um, and his name escapes me. I could guess, but I could guess wrong. Uh, he is a reservist, and his public affairs office did a profile piece on his family's tradition of spending their Christmas vacation uh, down in I think I believe it's Central or South America, doing humanitarian outreach. And uh, of course, the their his motive, his motivation, rather for everything that he did, for the, everything that the family did, was their Christian faith. And uh, I believe the name of the organization was was faith based, and just the name of the organization alone drew the ire of the usual critics, the usual the the, the ranks of the perpetually offended. And so the military, in in typical fashion, did a knee jerk reaction and and shut it down. And only after our side and allies from our side responded, did they realize, oh, okay, we don't have to overreact, and they reposted the the piece. Uh, but again, I think that the military's response, usually, whenever it's given some sort of confrontation or controversy, is just to shut down. And, you know, what What Alliance Defending Freedom and Allies work for is that people can live out their faith in the military.
0: Well, I look at uh, the the role of the average serviceman and service woman. This person is putting his or her life on the line for our country. They may never be called for it, but they know it at any time that they could. If I was in that situation... I would certainly want to know that I could get any kind of counseling from a spiritual point of view that could direct me on my faith saying, yes, this is right, this is moral, this you can do, this you cannot do. And that, I'm sure, would affect my morale. Why... Absolutely, yeah, go ahead. Uh, the, the thing I was going to, to ask is, what is the rationale of the people who are opposed to this? It could only harm the military. It could only harm our readiness.
2: Well, and as you say, these people, our service members, are willing to live out, uh, willing to potentially die for for our country, and I think that's one of the reasons why the military is consistently one of the most respected public institutions in the country. Um, In my experience as a former active duty JAG and as a veteran, I received so much support for my service, Um, and really, I, I served along some of the, alongside some of the best people you'll ever know. But there is a small, very vocal opposition bent on marginalizing people of faith. And I think it's because they believe that our faith is suspect and it's not uh, welcome in the military. So their, their view is that, that faith has no uh, viable or, or legitimate role once someone dons a military uniform. And as you say, these service members are willing to die. I mean, you've got the VA says that, according to their report, one veteran commits suicide every 65 minutes. Mm. That's 22 per day. And even those who don't commit suicide, you have them battling with higher divorce rates, uh, with PTSD. And and people like uh, Craig and other chaplains, they know better than anyone the the trials and the sacrifices and the challenges that our service members confront. So as you say, they need religious freedom now more than ever.
0: It would seem to me they do. And and Craig, I know that you've uh, been active in the Barnabas Project, where we help returning veterans. Again, the spiritual spiritual concept, the spiritual component of this cannot be overstressed. And I'm just, I am just at a loss. I can understand if a person says, I don't have faith, fine, I don't need it. I think they're wrong, but I can understand it. But to say that I can't, that's where I really get upset. And (laughs) I'm just not entirely sure where we can proceed from this point. Uh, Certainly... To my mind, this is going to have an enormous impact on the military. Are we seeing any uh, changes one way or the other? I think recently, and by recently I mean within the last ten years or so, it seems that the government, our government, has become less and less friendly toward religious expression, especially at the workplace or in the uh, in the military. Uh, is my perception correct on this? Uh, do we have some lights at the end of the tunnel? Is Congress addressing this issue, Dan?
2: Well, I can definitely tell you that there's been significant change. I mean, even if you look at the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, that was passed uh, during President Clinton's uh, administration, his first administration, during, in 1993. It was passed unanimously in the House, and it was passed 97 to 3 in the Senate. So with overwhelming bipartisan support, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act was passed, and yet that same law is now coming under fire as if it's controversial, so just as you say, what was considered common sense, that religious freedom is vital for, for uh, all citizens uh, and that the government cannot abridge or infringe upon religious freedom, and it must be very careful when it does that, um, that suddenly is now considered fair game. So that's, that's, that's really a, a fair point. Now, in terms of a light at the end of the tunnel, to answer your question, I feel like the good news is we do have strong allies in Congress. Uh, there are allies who... They've heard the call from the field. They've heard uh, their constituents and um, allies like Alliance Defending Freedom who have gone to them and, and let them know, hey, we need, we need top-down support. And so they really, they really have you know, answered the bell, and, and you're seeing a lot of activity um, in encouraging, and if that doesn't work, then ordering um, the Department of Defense, for example, to respect and honor religious freedom in the military.
0: I interviewed, uh, oh, many years ago, I interviewed an an old gentleman who had been a B-17 bombardier, pardon, B-24 bombardier during World War II, and uh, he was the only Jewish member of the squadron. He told a story about how the Catholic and the Protestant chaplains would hold services before each mission, and uh, there was no Jewish chaplain. He said, well, one day the Protestant chaplain walked up to him and said, uh, can I give you any kind of help or blessing? The guy says, well, I've got a Jewish prayer book here, but I don't read Hebrew, and the the pastor said, "I do." <laughs> and he, and he took the book and, and read a prayer to the uh, to the airmen. And he said he was there at, after every mission. Always greeted him after every mission. And uh, the gentleman said he could he couldn't express how much he looked forward to this. So it's a it's just one of many stories I've heard from veterans who have come back. Uh, Craig, we're uh, we're uh, about down to our last two minutes or so. Do you want to? Um, Say something from you know to wrap it up from the from your point of view as the head of the Lutheran chaplains.
1: Sure, I appreciate it, and it's really a, a blessing to have such good people like uh, Dan Briggs and ADF and others who are are really out just trying to protect our rights to allow our chaplains. Basically, as this theme is free to be faithful. That's all we're asking. And I think, uh, as we pointed out, I think there's this uh, misconception that the First Amendment just talks about free exercise, free worship in your chapel, in your office, but, but keep it there. And what we want to do is keep educating commanders as the chaplains are called to do that free exercise means that they have the right to conscience and to exercise their faith as a vocation as they serve our country and are willing to die for our country to protect those freedoms of religion that all of us enjoy. One of the
0: things in the First Amendment is it says specifically freedom of religion and free exercise thereof, not freedom of worship. This is one thing that a lot of secularists I think are trying to push is that worship is one thing. Religion is something else, and it should end at the door of the church rather than open society. And this is one of the things that we're fighting. Uh, Mr. Briggs, we've got about a minute left. Uh, would you uh, perhaps care to wrap up from your side?
2: Sure. Well, just to quickly regarding religious free exercise, I can tell you that I can think about going to the gym all day long, but if I don't actually go to the gym, then uh, my thoughts mean really nothing. And I think that that's, that's a similar thing for our faith. If you can think what you want about your faith, but if you can't live it out, then how are we even being faithful? Um, and I, I would just ask, you know, I want to thank you again for this opportunity. It really was just such a privilege. I would ask your listeners to continue to pray, to stay informed. Go on ADFlegal.org and uh, sign up for newsletters. We can keep you informed. And just know that it's only the sacrificial generosity of, of people who want to partner with us in this fight um, that allows us to, to advise and defend these service members for free. Um, and so we are just so appreciative of people who uh, support us through prayers and, and through other means as, we, um, as we, helped, we seek to help service members live out their faith.
0: You've been listening to Free to Be Faithful. It's a presentation of the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate as a religious liberty education and awareness program. Free to Be Faithful airs the third Wednesday of every month at 2.30 p.m. and is rebroadcast the following Saturday at 9.30 a.m. Central Time. It's also available for download at our website at kfuo.org. Today's guests were LCMS Director of Ministry to the Armed Forces Craig Mueller and Alliance Defending Freedom Attorney and Air Force Reserve JAG, Mr. Daniel Briggs. I'm your moderator. My name is Kip Allen. I'm wishing you God's blessing on this wonderful, wonderful day. Keep up the faith. We will win this fight. We're going to be keeping there. We've been here for 2,000 years. We're going to be here for a lot longer. God bless you all. Thank you so much for listening to Free to be Faithful.